Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. Hello, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Hall of Fame video game podcast. And this is a special episode for you guys today because this is our 50th episode to date. I am Matt Levy, your host, and I am joined by my co-host, Mike Staub. How are you, Mike? I am feeling 50 episodes good right now. I'll tell you right now. It's 50th episode. We've been doing this just about a year, which means we've only skipped two weeks. It doesn't feel that way, but I guess it. I guess we did. And if we didn't, don't hold me to that. And I could not think of a better game to talk about for our 50th anniversary, our 50th episode. It's not an anniversary. We haven't been doing this for 50 years. Maybe we'll be lucky when we're in our 80s, still talking about games from 100 years ago. But I'm going to go ahead and say this much. This is a game that is grossly important. This is a game that is unbelievably good. This is the game that many would consider the best game ever made. You could definitely put it in the class of the best 2D platformers ever made. And I'm going to go ahead and say this much. I think it's the best NES game. Well, Mike, a lot of stuff to, to unravel there and some great introduction for the game we're going to talk about today. And I think you're right. We've talked about in our 50 episodes, probably about 55 to 60 games, because in the beginning we were doing two games per episode. Like maniacs. And like crazy people. And what we realized quickly is of these 50 or 60, not all of them you can you consider the greatest of all time. There's probably only a few on the Mount Rushmore, but this is definitely one of those that you could pick out of the 50 or 60 we've talked about. And this is one of those that is a landmark game. Some say a masterpiece. And like you said, some call this their favorite game of all time. So let's, let's get into it. A game that came to North America, July 15th, 1989, Super Mario Brothers 3. And Mike, you've told us before, but this game did not come out internationally in 1989 so it's really crazy right so so super mario 3 releases in america on the nes in february of 1990 1990 but it came out in japan in october of 1988 so we got it like a year and a half after japan had got it the united states got it now when we say 1990, that's for the NES. This game was actually released on a Nintendo cabinet that you could find in certain arcades called a Play Choice 10. And now a Play Choice 10 is an amazing piece of hardware. It's unbelievable. With Long Island Retro Gaming, we have we have a few of them. Um, we have a tabletop one that our our chief he's our chief preservationist george portugal who is a lovely guy and just a wonderful he's a whiz when it comes to fixing this stuff he has a tabletop play choice 10 and it is unbelievable but i've also seen a good friend of mine brendan has a full full standing one and no any nes games do not look better than when you're playing them on a play choice 10 because it's a real rgb modded nes in the in the guts in the guts of the cabinet into an rgb crt monitor and these games look unbelievable Seeing Super Mario Brothers 3 on a Play Choice 10 in 1989 in the United States, now this is around July of 1989 and, and onward, had to have been one of the coolest experiences of all time because 
Mario 2 is is its thing. It's a weird thing. It exists in this weird space. It's a strange game. Super Mario Brothers 3 is kind of like what you would do if you were to take Super Mario Brothers, the original, and you were to like pump it up to 11 and give give the, the player a whole bunch of tools that you can use to totally like explore and do all this weird stuff in this game. And it had to have feel like you were stepping into the future when you were playing it in 1989 on the Play Choice 10 which is the way the arcade game worked is it would have 10 different carts that you could slide into it, hence play choice 10. What you would do is you would pay for time. So you you would put money in and you'd play like Super Mario Brothers 3 or Mega Man 3 or something like that for a few minutes and then you would move on. And uh, this it's so cool. And seeing this game on that hardware, if the hardware is working and the monitor is really good, which I've experienced it, nothing beats it. Like this is almost like the best way to experience NES games. This had to have been so cool. And then later that year in 1989, I think Americans really got their first taste of Super Mario Brothers 3 by seeing it in the unbelievably horrible movie, The Wizard, which which is like, it was kind of foreshadowing. It's like, hey, everyone out there, video game movies are, are probably never going to be very good. Yeah, but a lot of kids were hype because they heard this game was going to be in The Wizard, this movie. So yes, mo- bad movie aside, Everyone was really hyped. Everyone's very excited to just get a glimpse of this game. And even just the little footage that you get in The Wizard, it was so huge for people outside of Japan that had never seen this game before. Of course. And like this, The Wizard comes out in at the end or like the, the I think I feel like it's like a late summer 1989 movie. And Super Mario Brothers 3 comes out the following February. So, like, that's a propaganda piece, right? It's like, hey, everyone, you need to see this movie because they're going to show you this game that everyone's going to get. And you know what? I'm pretty sure everyone I knew who owned an NES had this game. This game sold like 17 million copies of the NES. It's unbelievable. It's the it's the third best-selling NES game. But... It was not included as a pack-in for quite some time. I think they probably included it as a pack-in later on. Yeah, they have different lists. Some people call what's called their bundled game, like best-selling bundled games, and then best they were non-bundled. And when it comes to non-bundled, because Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, those games weren't included with the NES. Yeah. As a non-bundled game, everyone had this game. I don't care who you were. You owned this game. This was the essential game to own if you had a Nintendo Entertainment System. And as much as I normally, I normally like the Japanese box art better in many of these cases. Uh, when I look at the Famicom art, I'm like, oh man, we really got screwed on the box art. Seeing this, that Super Mario Brothers 3 box art, the yellow box art that has kind of the yellow gradient with Mario just flying through the sky with his little raccoon wings, ears, and his tail. You can't really get better in minimalism than this. This is true Mario magic. This is Nintendo magic. This is them knowing exactly what we want. And it's one of the few times where an American box art uses like the same character art that you would use in a Japanese box art. It wasn't like getting like, I don't know, Dragon Warrior that has like this serious like Frank Frazetta like style medieval battle art. how about the Mega Man games where you have this human looking weird box art this you're actually getting the artwork that reflects the game and beyond that mike how about some of the artwork that associated with this game the marketing and the drawings of the characters wasn't it some of the best merchandise and marketing for mario to date 
some of the best merchandise, some of the best marketing. What's crazy is that there was so much marketing around the second game. So much. Like a lot of the stuff that you bought wasn't tied to the original. It was mostly tied to the second game with like red overalls and blue shirt and all that stuff. But then you've got Super Mario Brothers 3 and everything, all of the toys. McDonald's had toys and there was all these great figures and all this great art and T-shirts. And I mean, this is when this series became this series and it started to move on and get better and better. And while I am a world guy, for those of you out there who are like, are you three or world? It's like, I am Super Mario World start to finish every single time. I think it's the best game ever made. It's not my favorite game, but I think it's the best game ever made. But Super Mario Brothers 3 is like just below it. And it is so incredibly good. It is the quintessential NES experience. And honestly, it might be the quintessential Nintendo experience. Yeah, I'm right with there with you. Super Mario World is could be my possibly my favorite game of all time, but 3 does so many incredible things. And it does some things better than World. So, Mike, I want to get to what. First- it does. It does. It does. That's it. it. Does. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm going to take my Zelda game and watch and leave. <laughs> Mike, what are some of your early first experiences with? Super Mario Brothers 3. What are some of your early memories of this game? So I definitely got this as soon as it came out. I know for sure. I'd gotten this game. I was probably, how old was I? I was three years old when I I received this game. And I definitely knew, my parents knew that I was like Mario crazy. I played Super Mario Brothers nonstop. And when this came out in February of 1990, I was making my way towards four years old. I had an NES. I played it all the time. I definitely got this game. And my, I remember my first experience with it just being completely dumbfounded by all the things that you could do. And you could fly and you could run and glide and you could get the raccoon power up and you could do all this stuff. And I just remember like the first, the first thing that really, I remember mem- memory stood out to me was when I got to like the first airship. And I was like, oh, this is this is wild, right? Even as a little kid, I was like, this is so cool. I like this a lot. Pirates are cool. Let's do this. And I remember hearing from a friend uh, on my block where I was growing up at the time uh, before I made the move to Long Island when I was four. I remember a guy, a guy in the street, the block was just like a kid on the block was just like, oh, wait till you get to the second airship. It's green. And I was like, there's a green one? This is bonkers and then you had hammer brothers and you had boomerang brothers and you had heavy hammer brothers and you had all these different power-ups and it felt like you had so much in your arsenal and that is the thing it does better than world is it allows you to access your power-ups much better and there are more power-ups world was more about exploring the world that was put in front of you super mario brothers 3 was more about manipulating the worlds in the levels around you based on the tools that you are given and you're given a lot, even to the point where you get that Kuribo shoe or Goomba shoe, whatever you want to call it. Kuri, uh, Goomba in, in Japan is called Kuribo. When you get the Kuribo shoe or the boot, it's on. It's in one stage. The boot. Everyone remembers it. The boot. The boot. Yeah, Mike, one of the things that I r- early remember, and you said it here, is I think the overworld map 
this was uh, new to the Mario series at this point, and it's something that's been copied and done so many times since then. But being able to pick and choose which level you wanted to go, which path you wanted to take, was so unique. I felt like I had so con- so much control over what level I was going to play, just exploring the map and finding secrets. And there were so many secrets. The first time you found something that was hidden, you felt like, what else is out there? What else can I find on the map? What else can I find in one of the levels? That was the greatest thing about this game was, like you said, Mario World probably does it better as far as the exploration, but this does it first as far as exploring the map, finding secret levels, finding secret items, whether it's peas, tanuki suits, all of that. But the map in the world was very special, especially coming off of Mario 1 and Mario 2. Oh, absolutely. And you can't say for a second that they wouldn't... like. The way the, wor- the world map works in, in Super Mario World is, and the way the levels work with their exits and all that stuff and alternate exits, it's like that totally comes from, totally comes from Super Mario Brothers 3, whether you're dropping behind the scene so that you can run and, and get a special item or you're flying up in that first fortress so that you can fight Boom. I think you skip Boom Boom up there maybe and you get like a, like a, a flute and you can use the flutes to like totally skip to the end of the game, which is stupid, but I love it. And it's, it's just the secrets is this is where they start to come out. And then the next game is all secrets. It's, it's crazy how much like Super Mario World is just a bunch of secrets. Like you can play that game through and you can beat it. And I think you get like 65 of the exits if, if you don't do any secrets, which is like 65% of the game is like all you get when you finish it, which is wild, which is wild. Now in this game, this game has cool, cool cool paths and stuff you can take like there are alternate paths you don't have to play every stage i can't remember the last time i've played every single stage in super mario brothers 3 i think i've skipped most of them but you do kind of screw yourself over if you flute cheat to the end of the game because you got no items so even if you don't flute you could probably beat this game by just playing half the levels because they give you so many options and routes to take alternate routes and you get the hammers that you can break through bricks and you do all that stuff i'll tell you this much World 3 is still a piece of trash. I just want to let everyone know any world with water in it is the worst. I kind of had a feeling we were going to go there. We did not discuss this prior to. I said, Mike probably hates the water level. That's right, baby. Water levels are the worst. They're not fun. Nobody likes them. And the worst thing about, I think, World 3 is that there are water levels that aren't just water levels. They also scroll with you, which is stupid. And I hate it. Well, auto-scrolling are always the worst levels, whether it's Mario 3, Mario World. I hate when the level controls the pace that you control Mario because it defeats, I feel like, the purpose of Mario. You want to go at your pace, collect things, run along, jump on enemies. But then like the screen is just slowly moving and you, you're just standing either at the edge of the screen, jumping up and down, or you're running back and forth. Well, they got to play that athletic theme at some point, right? So that's what that's for. You know, whatever. I'm not going to get too into it right now. Well, let's get into the music then, Mike. Why don't we? We got Koji Kondo back here. What do you think of the music, the sound Beast. effects of this game? Beast, this this game is really robust. I love Super Mario World. It has one song in it. <laughs> one song. One song rearranged multiple times, which is kind of gorgeous and beautiful that Koji Kondo for World was able to do that. 
This game has so much music that's so good. They remixed the original underground theme. You've got a lovely kind of like boppy planted in. Like for like your little dancey, waltzy kind of boppy regular stage. And then you have your athletic theme, which does kind of give you that kind of that kind of like hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up kind of feel. Uh, And then you get the water stages, which is great music. As always, water stages tend to have very good music, even though the levels are awful. But you got to give you something, something to go for. But then they, they sneak in like they sneak in some like heavy metal, like and hard rock when you're like fighting the Koopalings. You get kind of like that. Yeah, meow, 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 even like the airship yeah. levels are have some cool music too. Doom, 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 doom. And it's like the, you get the drums beating. It's really cool. So I agree with you. The music here is top notch. Ko- Koji Kondo said this was the hardest music that he had written at that time. He really wanted diverse. He wanted yeah. different stuff. He said there was some Latin influence in certain things. So definitely. Was- well, because well, think about it, right? When you beat the stage, you get that steel drum in there. I don't mean to cut you off in the middle of your no, sentence cool. like an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> and when you die too, you hear that gigging, like gigging or whatever. And it, you hit like that, that kind of steel drum feel. So yeah, you kind of get that kind of Caribbean Latin kind of feel in there, which is beautiful, man. Koji Kondo wrote some really good stuff. And that's why for, for some reason, there's something about, you know, Mario music, for, like something about it to me always kind of has like this tropical vibe to it, even though like that's not what it is. I think it's something about the music, like the Super Mario Brothers theme, the core theme song sounds amazing when played on like a steel drum, because for some reason it just fits. It fits so well. And maybe it's because like the sun's always out and in this game trying to kill you. Or it's just, there's like always some sort of like beachy kind of vibe to Mario. Like there's a relaxed vibe to it, even when it's really stressful. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I could definitely understand you feeling that way. But beyond the music, Mike, I think the sound effects are just as important in these games and they're not talked about very often. So when you shoot a fireball or when you jump on an, an enemy or just any interaction with the characters and the items in the world, it just has a sound and a feel to it that now we believe and know as Mario. But back then, it was just good game design. Great game design. I feel like the sound effects are as important as anything else in this game. Like a video game. It's like if you watch Star Wars and take away John Williams' score, the movie's worse. Like considerably worse. Like it does so much for the movie. And that's all part of the movie. Like that's not saying Star Wars is not great. Star Wars is amazing. But you take away that John Williams score and it loses a lot. And that's the same thing with Mario. If he doesn't have his sound effects, if he doesn't have his music, it's terrible. He also like, this is also, I think, the first game where you can like pick up a shell and run with it, which is a big deal. And for all for all intents and purposes, kind of something we saw in Super Mario Brothers 2. <laughs> well, Mike, I'm glad you said it. The gameplay, the game mechanics did evolve here. We got some things you couldn't do in Mario 1. Mario 1, if you jump on a Koopa, and you try to run up to grab it, well, that's not going to work out so well. That's not unless, gonna... you jump, unless you jump on the corner. Right. If you just nail that right edge, you're good. <laughs> but normally, you can't pick up Koopa Troopas. So here you can pick up blocks. You can pick up enemies. You could slide down hills, which was a big deal at the time that changed kind of the way you traverse the world. And also like climbing vines was big in this game, which I believe you could do in the original. Yeah, they had some vines in the, in the original. Yeah. The vines changed the way they look in this game. I think this is this might be, you know, I don't remember. I'm probably confusing it with World because World has a piranha plant at the top of the vine. I forget if this one does, but there are vines. That, 
And there's so much weird stuff in this game. They shove that real love of Japanese gambling right at you when you're playing like the game where you have to match the, it's essentially a slot machine. And then they have like the card flip memory game. It's all like is all great. gambling games, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's all like spend your money. Yeah, no. I guess, I guess Mario 2 had that too. It's awesome. And and part of what makes all of that work, the gameplay, and what we don't talk about, and we've talked about before, is just the way the game feels, Mike. The weight Perfect. of Mario, the way you jump on a character, the way you can propel yourself up, the momentum when you have speed. I mean, that's something we've talked about before, but it, it's just getting that weight and the jumping and the feel right. You know, dude, it's it's that thing that we we talked about on Zelda. Remember we were saying that, like, for some reason, no one, very few games have been able to even match Zelda when it comes to its ability to handle top-down combat. I feel like with Mario, it's the same way. Like, very few games understand locomotion the way this series does. Jumps never feel as good. Well, let's like, compare they don't. for a second, Mike. The other two, I'd say, platforming games that are popular, you got Mega Man, which does some platforming, but very right. different jumping. Yeah. But it's more of a shooter as well. But yeah. And even Metroid was more of a shooter, but the jumping's very different. Yeah. The weight to Mario for the average mainstream person, it's easier to judge his jumps than a Mega Man or a, or a Metroid or anything else, any other games out there, because of the weight and the feel. Well, Mega Man has that one big toe. That just keeps him on the ledge. So, like, that's all you really need at that point. And Metroid, Metroid is a strange beast in the way it works. It works perfectly. Like, we talked about how much we love Metroid Dread. And part of the reason why we love Metroid Dread as much as we did is because the locomotion was so good. And you can't tell me that that style of locomotion and that constant, that constant motion and using your momentum, you can't tell me that doesn't date back all the way to Mario 3 because it totally does. And that whole P meter where you can just build momentum, that was Nintendo sitting down. This is this is this is a Miyamoto 11th hour addition to this game. I don't know the story behind this game, but this sounds like something where the team was almost done. He sits down and he goes, you know what? When Mario gets enough speed, he should be able to jump really high or fly. And yeah. everyone looked at him like, we 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 just built the game. And he was probably <laughs> like, and he probably went, I think it would be great if he could fly. And they were like, yeah, it would. Let's redesign the whole game. And um, it's you know, brilliant because when you watch brilliant. speed runs, Mike, when you watch people play this game who are really good, I recently watched the world record run, 100%, no whistles, just running through this game. They can jump on every enemy, jump from every tube to tube, never touch the ground really. And that you just know they, they built that into this game. That was planned that you can have that locomotion, that feel, and really never have to stop at all. And that's one of my only slight complaints about Super Mario Brothers 3. My only slight complaint about this, and yes, I've called it the best NES game ever made. I've called it the best, the the quintessential NES experience. I said, this is possibly the best game ever made. I've said a lot of great things about this game and all of them are true. And now Mike's going to crap all over the game. World 3 is a... (laughs) (laughs) The only issue I have at Mario 3 when I go and play it is that sometimes the levels feel too short. It feels like because the locomotion is so good, it's like Nintendo who gave us too good of a tool set so that you can essentially skip through the entire game. And there's so much you want to see in this game. Now, that's me complaining it after complaining about this after playing it for 30 years. 
So like as a, as a three or four year old kid, when I'm sitting there playing it, I didn't know I could do all that stuff. So it really didn't matter. That's just me after playing it for 40 years, uh, 40 years, geez, 30 years. <laughs> I'm not that old yet, folks. I'm not that old. Getting there feels Mike that way. Travels here from the future to record this what? podcast. I've come, to, I've come to talk about Super Mario Brothers 3. But Mike, there's something there. But I think if you remember, if you watch someone five or 10 or 15 years old, play this game again for the first time. The levels are not short. They're trying to figure out where to go. This game has a lot of levels that are tricky that if you don't know where to go, you could run out of time very quickly. Also, like this game is uh, it's merciless, right? It eats you literally like birth. A big birther will eat you for lunch. A giant fish. No fun. No fun at all. And you know what? They throw big bertha in an underwater stage and I hate it. (laughs) It's just, this is just, we need a section where Mike complains about water stages. I've got a, I've got a lot. I've got a lot. We can go to Mike, chemical plant zone. Let's we can go continue anywhere. the talk about enemies. You just brought in Big Bertha. There were some new ones introduced here. Chain Tramp, one of our good old friends, was introduced in Mario 3. Bow Wow. Yeah. And great, right? I love that Chain Chomp or Bow Wow or whatever they're called has become like part of the series, right? It's, it's a weapon Bowser uses in Super Mario RPG, my favorite game of all time. And it's just, they're so well-designed and because they're so simple, I love the chain chomp. I think the chain chomp is awesome, but Matt, I'm going to tell you something right now. Uh Oh, here it goes, guys. His favorite enemies that were created in this game. I think he's going to go there and talk about them. The best thing (laughs) to come out of Super Mario Brothers 3 are the Koopalings. The best thing ever. I love the Koopalings. I think it's, they're great. I think giving... Now, I know in the cartoon, uh, the Deke produced cartoons, they're Bowser's children. I don't think that's really what they are. I think they're just a bunch of lunatics that Bowser's like, all right, okay, you can't stay in this castle because you'll burn it down. So I'll give you your own castle to burn it down. And Mario and friends, you try to stop them as they as he makes his way towards my big house. But the Koopalings are amazing. Uh, I don't know what they're called. Actually, I don't know their names in Japan. Uh, that's well, what's really interesting for me. is for, this, for North America, they were named after musicians, which is very right, well baby. known. So you got Roy in there. You got Ludwig. You got a bunch all named after famous uh, musicians. Mostly rock musicians, actually. Ludwig is Ludwig van, van Beethoven, but Wendy O. Williams is Wendy O. You've got Lemmy is uh, based off the lead singer of Motorhead. You've got Iggy, who's based off of Iggy Pop. You've got Larry. I don't know who Larry's based off of. <laughs> you got Roy is Roy Orbison. You yep, have Orb- Morton, who is uh, Morton Downey Jr. Morton Downey Jr.? I think so. And then you have, I have to look that up because I think that's what he's named after. And then did you also know that they were designed to look like seven of uh, Shakira Moyamoto's designers? He actually designed their faces and their glasses and hair and everything based on seven of the people that worked for him. So does that mean one of the guys he worked with had like a, like a multicolored Mohawk? Cause that's rad. It's awesome. Um, yeah, it is Morton Downey Jr., by the way. I was correct awesome. about that. So they're all named after famous, mostly famous rock musicians. And man, I don't know if if I was one of the designers, I don't know if I would be happy or sad about that because it's just like, you think I look like this guy? <laughs> like Morton Koopa has like half his face is two different colors and he's got a big star on his eye. Mike, like, who's your favorite Koopa? Oh, come on. Am I making you like fake, like choose your favorite child? Is this hard for you? No. Lemmy, baby. Lemmy. Lemmy's a, a lunatic. He rides around on a bouncy ball and he's my go-to in, in Mario Kart. He's my main in Mario Kart. I've been I've been a Lemmy devotee since Mario so, Kart 8 came out. I love Wendy. I got a soft spot oh, for Wendy. Wendy. Wendy's great. You, you know she's got a little sass to her. You know she's a tough cookie. 
And then I also like, who's like the beefier looking guy who's bald, who's a little crazy looking? There's a couple of them. He so almost looks Mort- like Batista. <laughs> <laughs> Morton's the one. There's Morton, who's a big one. He's got, he's got, he's like, his head is like half gray and half white. Yeah. Morton. And then there's Roy, who's got the sunglasses, who's a bigger, a bigger one. The he's three- got the pink glasses, right? Yeah. He's no, got the no, pink glasses. We're going Morton. Morton's Morton, a little crazy baby. looking. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, I feel yeah. like he'd have, like, I think he's got a rocket launcher in some of the newer games. Like, I don't he's know. Got he's got like a, little- a hammer. And- yeah. yeah. He's, I wouldn't mess with him, but yeah, no way. the Koopalings are amazing. Every time they bring them into any Mario game, it's exciting, but this is their first appearance and they're spectacular. Dude, like, why aren't we getting more of these guys? Like, I've said this on this podcast a million times. These are the most under-merchandised characters in, like, Nintendo's stable. Now, honestly, yes, I understand, like, Kid Icarus and all that stuff. Nobody cares. I don't understand why there aren't more Koopaling stuff, like well, T-shirts, Mike, let me ask dolls, you. figures. Let me, let me ask you. We just played Super Mario Odyssey in the last few years, and it's a so great good. game. It's a beautiful so game. So they good. introduced these, these rabbit characters, which they're fine. They're okay. But why not make them Koopalings? I feel like, and I agree with you, I think, imagine, imagine even in like Super Mario 3D World. Imagine if some of those boss fights were Koopalings instead, yes. of, instead of like Have the big Have we gotten snake. a 3D version of them yet? And I'm trying to no. think. No, we have not because they're, I think, and this is, I think, what Nintendo's viewpoint on them is. I think they're relegated to 2D. I think mm-hmm. they have these characters, there's 2D characters, but there's so much character to them. They're so rambunctious. I love them. All of them. And like, you got like, you got like Iggy's like squiggly, crazy eyes, and he's like the mad scientist. And you got, oh, it's so good. It's so good. These characters, like, they need to be in stuff. Like, I want a game where I get to play as them. And causing chaos and havoc all over the Mushroom Kingdom. I know that there's like, there's like a side game to one of the like the Mario and Luigi games that they re-released that had like something where like you're commanding like the Koopa Troop or something, and I think they're in it. But like, I would love an adventure game. Like, give me, give me like, ra- give me the Rabbids game, but my party are the Koopalings. That's oh, what, that's what we oh, want. Oh, Mike, you just, <laughs> you just solved a great, great mystery of how to put them in a game. That would be Future- great. A future episode of my other podcast, How About This? It's going to be just be called Koopalings. Get with it. Well, one more thing on the bosses and enemies of this game. Bowser, the man himself, this is the, this is the real first time we get the appearance of Bowser, the way we know him today with the red yeah, hair, red hair, because he was very different in all drawings prior to this. He was more of the, yeah. they called him King Koopa. This is the red haired Bowser that we know. And, and yeah, he does the big Bowser butt stomp. He he's big and scary looking. He's got like, he's got his Bowser statues that shoot lasers at you. Is this the first appearance of Ma- Magic Koopa too? Oh, that's a good question. Game, I'm not sure. I, I think I think it might be the first appearance of Magic Koopa if World isn't the first appearance of Magic Koopa. It you know, it might be World. world. It could yeah. be World. Well, we'll but fact check that. <laughs> how about that? Yeah, exactly. Right. How about that boss fight? Right. Where you don't really fight Bowser. You let him beat himself, which is kind of awesome, because like when you see Bowser on screen, when you're playing it and that awesome. Oh, the music's great. You walk in this room oh, yeah. and you see red bricks on the ground and. That's what I love about it is you're not fighting him. You're not shooting him with fireballs. You're not trying to punch him. Just like the first game, the first Mario Brothers game, you're trying to get to the end so you could drop him into the lava. Here you are trying to get him to stomp the ground and fall through. And it's just it's just creativity. 
It's just so good. It's so good. It's it's a creative use of the boss fight. Some puzzle combat is usually the best combat. And if you just if you played the whole game and all you did was jump on Bowser's head, it would be so anticlimactic. So it's just like you got to kind of figure it out, and you just got to be like, you know what? Let let the big dummy beat himself because that's all he does in every single game. Is he just constantly just destroys himself? To correct us, yeah, it is Super Mario World is okay. is when Maggie Magic Coop was perfect first shows up. So, so next, so, yeah. Oh yeah, go ahead. Next, I was going to say. Let's really dive into some of the items and costumes of this game. I know we started to talk about it before, and I feel like this game, like you said, the arsenal, this is what makes Mario Brothers 3 so special. Yes, it's traversing. Yes, it's the map, but the items and the costumes in this game, dressing Mario up in these crazy, silly outfits, a staple of all Mario games, and you say, is it going to be a B? Now he's going to be Metal Mario. It's always something, but it started here, really, because the first Mario Brothers, all right, he got a fire flower. Okay. He gets a mushroom. All right, he gets a star. This game takes to a whole new level. Dude, and the best power-ups ever, outside of what Cappy can do, all right? Cappy turns that game into like Mario meets Kirby, which is beautiful and amazing, and you could do so much like turn into a uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. But in Super Mario Brothers 3, this is the best the arsenal ever was before that, I think, because it's just like, okay, nothing's timed. Like, there's no time limit on your power, and you've got... The fire flower comes back and it turns Mario like this wonderful, like liquid cheese orange, which is hilarious. He looks like he looks like oil. He looks like pizza oil, which I've always found very funny. And then you've got like, let's let's the best Mario power up ever after the fire like possibly the best Mario power up ever. The leaf that turns you into raccoon Mario so you can fly. Yeah, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and say that's got to be up there. It's it's the cape is probably better, but I like the fact that he gets ears in this game. You have the Hammer Brothers suit, which is super rad. Oh my gosh, is that the coolest thing ever? Because the Hammer Brothers are terrifying. To this day, I'm still terrified of the Hammer Brothers in the first Mario Brothers game. And then you have you have Karibu Shu, which is only one stage and a lot of fun. You have the Tanuki suit, which is kind of the same as the raccoon suit, but you can stop and turn into a statue so that enemies won't attack you. And then it looks like he's wearing like a fuzzy like onesie instead of wearing like little ears and a tail. And then we're going to go ahead and we're going to put a certain costume on blast. The frog suit is useless. (laughs) Useless. You are better as any other suit, even in the water. (laughs) The fire flower is, is 10 times better in the water than the frog suit is. If you don't use the frog suit in a water level, it is useless to you even more so. You're like, what am I going to do with this? You're just hopping around through the levels. The jumping gets janky. The running gets janky. So I agree with you. I'd rather have firepower if I'm underwater. But listen, the frog suit has its own little like traversal. It's got its own like it changes up the way you move underwater. But I agree with it. Just he looks cute in it. I mean, yeah. Oh, listen, it's a great look. (laughs) I'm not going to. They have like a T-shirt where like Mario's at the bottom of the suit. In his frog suit, and there's like bubbles coming up. It's like that's beautiful. That's it's great character work. It's Nintendo at its best. I I, I love those shirts where they put like Mario and like his costumes on the shirt. I actually had a had one from like T Fury where it was Mario wearing a Pikachu suit, and I wore it to uh, I wore it to Disney World, and I had dinner at the Japanese spot in Disney World, and like all of the people from Japan were like, "Oh my gosh, where did you get that?" I'm like, copyright infringement, baby. So. That's where that really starts, right? The Mario in like the different suits. And that's really all part of it. And it's so good. It's such a good 
unique look. And they still use the suits a lot, especially as you get to the 2D games and like Super Mario 3D World. They, they do such great stuff with the suits. The Tanuki suit has gone on to be so good and so important. And just especially when you get into like those 3D games, like the 3D 3D games, I say that in quotes because they have 3D in the title. How, how much that kind of glide like helps you and how Mario can glide down when he flies up and you could slowly feather fall your way back to the back to Earth so you don't die and fall down a pit or something like that. Well, what I would say to, just to kind of for my closing for that would be one is the diversity. I played the new Super Mario 3D World, the new Super Mario Brothers games, and people don't love those games. I think they're decent games, but the problem is there's very few items and not enough items in your arsenal. And I would say too, here, you can stock them, which people love. This was like the time where it's like, I can stock as many items as I want. And love that it. was such a great feeling. Super Mario World took that away, which was was the one thing disappointing. You can keep one in a box at the top, yeah. but that was it. And it made it the game not necessarily more challenging because I think it is an easier game than Mario 3. I think so, yeah. But it gave you, I think Mario 3, letting you have, I don't know, 10, 15 items. You can keep two rows worth of items is great. Yeah, you can just flip them, flip them left and right. You can keep stars in there. You can keep all different stuff in there. You can keep the P-Wing, which gives you permaflight for a full stage, which allows you to skip some of those horrific Bowser stages at the end because they're Yeah, some terrible. of those tank levels are, oh. are, are, are pretty rough. They, they are They are, they are hard on you. Yeah, they don't they don't they don't go easy for sure on you in in uh, in that game and that towards the end in that world. But this game has like it's what is it like eight full worlds of levels. And at first you start out, and I think each stage has like the first few few worlds. I think these they have like eight or ten stages, maybe. And then by the time you get to like world five and like you just like you play the world that's on the ground and then you have to go up into the sky and then you go to the little big world and things are giant. Things are small. That was and- so cool. When you were so a kid good. and you went to world four, that was everyone's, I think, favorite because you see these giant Goombas and these giant Koopa Troopers or then these really small ones. And you can switch between the two by going in certain tubes like that was so cool. Dude, the sprite work is so good. It's so good on those on those on those stages. And then that's when you get the giant weighty Hammer Brothers. And it's just, you know. Yeah, man, you really hit the nail on the head there. It's just such a diverse experience, level to level, world to world. It's so diverse, unique, and original. It felt like they were playing with a toolkit of the best ideas. And I can only imagine what the whiteboard looked like for the amount of ideas that they wanted to cram into this game and how much stuff they had to cut because it's miraculous. They said that Mario was going to turn into a centaur. I read at one point it didn't make it. So there was other stuff in development. But you have to remember... This was only about 10 or so people in the course of two years to make this game on a budget of $800,000, which back then was probably still a decent amount of money. Yeah, 30 years ago, $800,000 was like 30 million today. That was probably several million. I'm not sure about the exact back in 19. It could have been 15, 20 million. You're right. It absolutely could have been. I have no idea. I have no idea how how economies But you're right. It sold eight, almost 17 and a half, 18 million copies. It held the record for the best-selling non-bundled game at the time. And it they put $25 million into market, but they made that bounty back. It was the highest grossing game at that time as well. Yeah, it's just $17 million would be lights out good for now when there's 100 million switches on the market, right? 17 million units when the NES is three, three four years old, is, that's a lot. I think, they only sold, I think they only sold like 50 or 60 million 
NESs. I'm not sure the exact number. Yeah, I don't remember the number, but the, but the attach rate is huge. Yeah, it's probably one out of two, something like that. So you're something close. About something insane. And this game has been re-released and re-released. And I'm sure you and me have bought it a dozen times. You're talking on the NES. You're talking the Super Mario All Stars. You bought it. Which on is the a great SNES. version. It's an excellent version. I mean, excellent for our original purists. They want the original graphics, but it's a great version. Great version you of have the game. It on the virtual console on the Wii, Wii U, and 3DS. So three different eShops you could have bought it from. Super Mario All-Stars Collection on the Wii. They released an anniversary disc with those games. The NES Classic. The Nintendo Switch Online. And then also the wonderful Game Boy Advance version as well. Which is just the most confusing thing on the planet. Super Mario Brothers Advance 4, Super Mario 3 is the, <laughs> the worst title. The numbering the of title. all of those are so now, confusing. Do we have a 10? Was it in Animal Crossing at all? Or was it an e-reader? It was an e-reader. It was. I did not include that in the list. E-reader as well. So there are 10 places you can play, at least 10 places you can play this game. Yeah. It's it's wow. absolutely absurd. And then if you want to count Super Mario Maker 1 and 2, the yeah. Mario 3 aesthetic is in Isn't the game. That- so you could make this game. You could recreate this game. There's something magical to that. And Last conversational topic, Mike, that I feel like you have to discuss with Mario Brothers 3 is, was this game a play? Is this theater? I mean, the curtain comes up at the beginning. You got that checkerboard floor, which I've played shows in Japanese theaters, and uh, they have that checkerboard floor in the, in the theater. And when like, you beat the level, they, he comes to like a curtain. He walks off stage, they say. I know. I know. And then when, because- you, when you go on the white blocks in this game, Mike, and you crouch down on them you can go behind the white block people are saying you're going backstage like you're you're running through the level by going backstage so i think there's a lot of hints and tips that this is a this is a play i think i think it might be a play or, or a musical. musical yeah we got some something. wonderful music yeah. <laughs> the music's way too good for it not to be a musical and i do want to say one thing before we uh, we wrap on this sure we always give Shigeru, Shigeru Miyamoto so much credit, and he deserves all the credit in the world. He's the godfather of, of Japanese video games. He's a lovely designer, seemingly an all-around amazing guy. Just celebrated his 69th birthday a few weeks ago. But at the same point in time, we have to, have to applaud his co-director, Takashi Tezuka, who has been with the series since day one and doesn't get, I've said this on another podcast, he doesn't get anywhere near the, the amount of credit that Miyamoto gets because Miyamoto is like the main designer and he's just, he's out in the public and people love this guy. And I don't think Miyamoto is taking away any of it. This is not a Stanley Jack Kirby situation. I just think that people don't talk about Tezuka enough and Tezuka is just as important as Miyamoto is. And Nintendo R&D4, who produced this game, just put out some of the best games literally ever made. Ever made. Yeah. Like, Plain and simple. This is one of the best games ever made, and it is it is the eight bit game. Yeah, I I think you said it before the quintessential Nintendo game. I think if you were to play one game on this console and one game only, I would not say Mario Brothers one. Nope. It's classic. It's a lot of things first. This game is a thousand times better. Uh, this game beats out Zelda. It beats out Metroid. It beats out Mega Man. It beats out every other game on this console, and that's where I can say this is for me, the best Nintendo game. Yeah, I would go ahead and say the best NES game. If someone was, if someone came to me and was like, Mike, I just got an NES. I only have enough money to buy one game because games now are $8 million. What would, I, what would you buy? I'm like, I would say get Super Mario 3. Yeah, definitely. Totally. Definitely get Super Mario 3. 
Well, the, the influence created a TV show, which was on a uh, collaboration between Nintendo and NBC. They had 26 episodes in 1990. Do you recall uh, the show, Mike? Yeah. Oh, I do. I do. Those good old Deke shows, those Deke produced nonsense. Yeah, they were pretty bad, but I still watched them every week. Yeah, no, it's, it's good stuff. And, you know, there were a number of Mario shows. You know, there was a Mario World show. There's original Mario Brothers show. And they're all ridiculous, silly and of varying qualities. But as a kid, this was fun. It was fun. And who knows where we're going to go? The, we might we might have been fortunate. Right. We might get what's coming we out. We might next be saying, year. Chris Pratt, what happened? What happened? Oh, no. Oh, I don't but know, man. It will never taint uh, this game. This game will game I can pick up and play yearly. I think yeah. it is one of those games that the replayability is off the charts. And if I was making a top five or top 10 list for myself, this is on it every day. It should be. It's really good. Yeah. It's unbelievably good. It's like, this is another one of those games. If someone came up to me and said, Mike, Super Mario Brothers 3 is my favorite game. And I think it's the best game ever made. I'd be like, yeah, that's a good pick because it's that darn good. Totally. So, Mike, that was our 50th episode in the books. Not our 50th game, because we've talked about a few others, but it's our 50th episode in the books. 50 episodes. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. I'm so happy about that. That's so sick. Uh, I can't wait till we do this again next year, and it's been 100. Well, it, t- it takes 50. Well, yeah, we're in a midlife crisis right now. Yeah. It takes 50 to get, you know, Miyamoto and Doug Bowser, all the big, the big wigs to start listening to our podcast. And now they'll start. This is, this is when they'll be like, oh, they got 50 episodes under their belt. They know what they're doing. Exactly. So Mike, I would like to thank you as always uh, for joining us on the Hall of Fame video game podcast. But really, we want to know what have you been playing? So it's been rough, guys. I just want to be honest with you. There's too much stuff out there. Too much stuff out there to play right now. So I was playing Shin Megami Tensei 5, which I love. I think it's a beautiful game. I think it's unbelievably good. I think it's a very good, crunchy, grindy, old school style RPG. But then Game Freak goes and hits me with Pokemon. So I've been playing Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, which I love. Uh, I'm actually having a lot of fun. I, I think the little squat little art is great. And it feels like it's a deliberate design choice to make it look specifically and purposely like the old games did. And it feels great. There's no like hitching or anything like that. When you're walking around the world, it moves incredibly smoothly. It's really fun. I never played the Sinnoh games, so I'm very happy to get into the Sinnoh region. And uh, me and my Chimchar, or he's now in the second, the, the teenage style fire monkey guy, which is cool. And I can't wait till I get the full on Infernape very soon. But I'm really digging uh, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond. And I will tell you something very weird that I've done lately, very strange to me. I'm actually kind of judging myself a little bit. I have never, ever been a competitive gamer in any way, shape, or form. I do like fighting games. I do like going to uh, someone's house and playing a bunch of fighting games for an afternoon. Like that's, that's, that's where it is for me. But online competitive shooters, no thanks. No thank you. You could take it and throw in the garbage. But on a whim, last weekend, I downloaded the Halo Infinite online beta. And oh my God, is it good. It feels like Halo felt in 2001 or 2004 or whatever. But like modernized to the point where like it's fresh and new and great. 
and also nostalgic to the point where it's like it feels like old Halo. They did something impossible here and delivered a Halo experience that feels like a LAN party from like 2004, but at the same time feels like a brand new, fresh coat of paint, super responsive, fun, ridiculous shooter. And man, has it been an absolute blast. And I think Halo Infinite might be an amazing game if the game, if the actual like campaign pays as much attention to Halo and as the multiplayer has to Halo multiplayer, because wow, is it good? And I'm actually floored that I'm enjoying it as much as I am. That is so, so cool. So cool. Well, first off, I just want to ask you, what was your prior experience to these Pokemon games? Did you play the original versions of them much? Oh, I did not. I did not play. I think this is Gen 4. I did not play Gen 4 at all when, when they had come out. That was like when I wasn't playing Pokemon. And I never got to them when I got back into Pokemon when I started playing like X and Y. So I'm really excited to really be into this because I love monkeys in terms of like animals. Like they're great. I, I've, I, there's pictures of me on the internet feeding them in when I was on a vacation in Japan. And now I have a monkey that I can shoot fire. So that's, that's like a win-win. It's a Mega Man villain. So it's one of those things where it's just like, I, I'm really loving this game. I, I love the environment. I love my squat little guy as he runs around. But then when you get in the battles, you can see the whole thing and the battle scenes look really good and the animations of the Pokemon are great. And as a newbie to this, I'm like, I'm happy how familiar it is because all well, Pokemon's kind of the same. But like, but there's something I, nice I to need that. that. Sometimes yeah. you need that. Go to a gym, train your guys, evolve, go to the gym. There's something nice about that. And I don't need something new. Now, I didn't play these as well. So I'm looking forward to around the holidays playing this. I enjoyed Let's Go Pikachu. I enjoyed Sword and Shield. And I'm looking forward to this on the Switch as well. And then, yes, it does feel like Halo is in the air again. I feel like when I go outside, I smell. I feel like Halo is in the air. I listen for it. And I feel like Spartans and the all the different enemies and worlds yeah, and weapons. I feel like it's back. And I'm very excited to when the campaign does finally arrive to see what this new Halo is all about. But it's great that they made it free. It's great that Halo is free. It's free. It's and that's the most important part of Halo for most people. And before we before we go, Matt, I want to know what you hear, but I also have to show you something on the screen that I got. I got my little Legend of Zelda Game and Watch, which is so cool. It has the original Zelda on it. It has the amazing Zelda Two on it. <laughs> <laughs> and it has Link's Awakening on it. And if you want to get one of your gamer friends or your gamer self, like a really nice little holiday gift, it's like 50 bucks. And it's got three, two amazing Zelda games and one okay Zelda game on it, if we're being honest. But it's such a cool little package and I love it. And if you have the other one, if you have the other one, like I do, I have the uh, Super Mario Brothers uh, game and watch. You put them next to each other. They're looking pretty sweet. It's beautiful. I'm waiting now for the Metroid one. I'm waiting now for a Kirby one. But I agree with you, Mike. Those little handheld things, they're so colorful. The, volume, the sound sounds great. They're yeah. really good hardware. Nintendo, you know, people joke about certain things Nintendo does. And 50 bucks does seem a lot for two or three or four games we've owned forever. But it is worth it for the hardware, for history, and for just replaying these games anywhere you want. And maybe you don't want to lug around your Switch. This just goes right in your pocket. Nintendo makes toys, man. That's yeah. what they did. The Amiibo showed that. And this is showing that like they're just they're a toy company. And it's really cool to see them hit back to their roots. But what are you been playing, man? So I have been playing a bit more of Ghost of Tsushima. I finally got the 
save file to transfer the PS4 oh. version. That was not easy to do. Thank you, Sony. Cheers to you, man. That takes a while. Oh, man. And people have joked about how difficult it is on some games to get it to upgrade. And I spent the money. I'm like, why is it not doing it? And I have two icons there. I load PS5. It started me over from the beginning. So now I finally got it figured out. I had to use a USB stick. I think if you have PlayStation Plus, it's a little easier because it I do. uploads yeah. your save. Yeah, I do. If not, you have to kind of manually move the save over. So Xbox has always been a little more user-friendly when it comes to these things. I heard their upgrade system is a lot easier. You just put the oh, game yeah. in, it knows what to do. Because Sony, Sony... They're trying to milk you. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to get that money out but, of you. But the game is great. I'm, I'm diving more into it. I'm having a good time. It's something I think I'll be playing, probably playing through December because it's a, it's, a, it's a lengthy game. It's a lot of game. How, 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 how good does it look on the PS5 on that OLED? You know what? There's a <laughs> noticeable difference yeah. in the PS4 version. I thought, yeah. ah, it's maybe a run smoother. It is jaw-dropping compared Dude, it's to like, what the PS4 version looked like. It's like a different game. It is. And you will see that the same way when you play Final Fantasy VII Remake on the PS5 and an OLED TV. I am so tempted because there's sales right now. We're recording this around Black Friday, and there are sales everywhere for that game. And I'm like, do I really want to spend $30 to $40 to rebuy a game I already beat on a PS4 Pro? But I'm so tempted because the game was that good. Are you asking me this question? <laughs> or are you asking yourself this question? Because that's you'll get an answer if you're if you're honestly asking me this question, feel the free to do Final so. Final Fantasy VII Remake was one of the greatest experience of modern gaming for me. But I have such limited time. So for me to sit down for another 10 to 15 hours or 20 hours to play a game I just played two years ago, it sounds crazy to me, but I really want to. Are you asking me whether or not you should buy the <laughs> PS5 version, Matt? I need to know. Mike, I am replaying Metroid Dread as well. <laughs> I'm replaying games I already own. I don't know if I should be going and getting Final Fantasy VII Remake. Have you played the Have you played the intermission? I have, have you not. played? I have not, and that is tempting. I, you know what I'm waiting for? That's I want an cool. announcement about Final Fantasy VII Remake too, and that might get me okay. Hot. It'll and, be cheaper. Know, It'll be cheaper then. It will. It, it definitely be, will. Do it in the in in a lull of releases that doesn't happen anymore. Well, I, yeah, right. Well, I, I'm, I have a long list of games for the holidays that I will be playing. My, my Christmas list is large. I am now playing through Backlog. So the other game I am playing currently is Lego uh, Marvel Super Heroes 2. Oh, cool. Very cool. Which, those games are just fun. There's, there's a thousand different Marvel characters in it, D-list and F-list characters that you never heard of. It's so fun. Hey, man, Spider-Man 2099 is on the cover. Uh, it's so cool. It's I great. That's, it's, That's it's a red. It's just, it's just fun to play through. So that's another mindless game I've been playing with my son. And I just, you know it's what? Great. Love gaming. Love it. Love, love it, it. Love it. Love it. Dude, that's so good. Let me know what you get for the holidays. Cause I've, my wife tends to get mad at me because I buy everything for myself. So I try to leave like one or two be like, Hey, if you're interested in getting me holiday <laughs> gifts, these might be things you might want to look at. I get so... yelled at too. So I had to give my, my wife a list of like three <laughs> or four games and sales. Cause if not, she's like, you buy everything for yourself, but <laughs> I don't want her to pay 60 bucks when I know I can get it for 30, you know? I know. Well, there was a couple of sales that happened the other day that I was just sending <laughs> links. You know, game of the year is coming up. It's coming up to an end. So I, I need to, there's a few games that I really need to play. And who knows? I mean, if Halo Infinite's as good as the multiplayer, Halo Infinite, which comes out like the middle uh, beginning of December or whatever comes out the beginning of December, I forget, but Halo Infinite multiplayer is really good. Uh, Forza well, Horizon 5 is really good. Well, Mike, we only got a few episodes left before the end of the year. I'm thinking we're going to have our fun tournament bracket style episode, which we are preparing. And then maybe we'll throw a game of the year, talk about gaming in 2021 and maybe look back. 
Dude, that'd be sick. I'd be down. Let's do that. All right. Let's so do that. Let's do that between like Christmas and New Year's. That'd be great. I think the, the listeners would love it. So, Mike, they thank better. you. Uh, <laughs> please tell us where people can hear you and find you. You better believe it. You can find me here every week on the Hall of Fame podcast featuring video games. Matt does an amazing job as a host and a producer on this. And it's been a joy to talk about some of the best games ever made. And today, quite possibly the single best game ever made. If you're you know, someone who really appreciates the history of video games, you can also find me on my other podcast, which is How About This, where a friend, my friend Jordan and I will talk about a property like Mario Brothers and come up with some sort of concept of how we can turn it into a film or a car- cartoon or another game or a sequel or whatever. And that you can find us all over the internet. How about this pod? Then you can find me with my band, Bad Mary. We're a rock and roll outfit. You can find us at badmary.com or you can search out Bad Mary Band wherever searches are sold. And last but not least, you can catch me with Long Island Retro Gaming or LIRG out there on the internet. We are doing a holiday event on December the 11th, I think. I think it's December the 11th. It is Saturday, December 11th at the Cradle of Aviation Museum. Matt, you should totally come. It's going to be a holiday marketplace and uh, event at the Cradle of Aviation Museum. And come hang out, play some video games, check out the museum. It's a lot of really cool stuff. And Long Island Retro Gaming is filled with some of the most amazing gamers and people that I've met on the planet. So you definitely got to come and see some of the weird stuff we got. So Matt, as a guy who loves video games and history, I think you would absolutely love this event. Uh, and anyone out there else who's interested, that's December 11th. I believe it starts at at 10 in the morning and goes till nine o'clock at night. So you got a whole day to come down and hang out. When, you, when you're taking a break from shopping at the Roosevelt Field Mall, just drive over to the Cradle Aviation Museum and play some games. But if you need to hear my hot take, good takes, bad takes, worst takes, you can always hear me here. And uh, Matt and I, this has been a blast. I can't believe we've done 50 episodes. It feels like only yesterday we were talking about like Mega Man X and Super Mario RPG or DuckTales. And uh, this has kind of grown into a really great experience. And Matt, it's all, it's all your hard work, my friend. So thank you. Now, I couldn't do it without you. Mike is the, the talent on this pod. He is the coolest dude in gaming out there, the coolest dude in a band. And he is here each week, guys, to tell you about some of these amazing games. And I'm just here for the journey. I'm just here for the experiences. I'm here just to uh, talk about video games. So, That's Mike, thank I'm you. I'm here too. You know, Matt, so thank you, thank you. My pleasure. So, guys, please check out the back catalog. We are now 50 episodes deep. So there is enough content there for two plus days. You can listen to our podcast two days straight. And that sounds like a good way to blow through a weekend. So do that. And then please leave reviews, nice ones, because that really does help us out. Yep. And then tune into future episodes. Tell your friends, shoot us an email, talk about us on uh, the Instagram. All that good stuff does help us. You know, it does. It makes us more visible and allows us to talk about even more. And when you give us ideas, we can talk about it on the podcast. If you're like, I'd really like to hear Matt and Mike's take on this let's do it. So we just need you to chime in and tell us. Yeah. So we have a lot of great stuff planned for year two. Thank you guys for tuning in and staying with us. And we will see you guys all next time. Later. From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame game podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame pod or email us at the Hall of Fame pod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.